0: Lesson 6 for August 3 to 9 Worship the Creator read by Dr Percy Harold Sabbath afternoon August 3 Before we start let's pray Our heavenly Father we know that you are the creator of the world through Jesus Christ. And as we open your word this week, we want to thank you for that, that we actually exist and that we have the opportunity of salvation from sin through Jesus. As we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us each one. In Jesus' name, amen. Our memory text for today is Isaiah chapter 58, verses six and seven. Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Let's read that again, Isaiah chapter 58, verses 6 and seven, Is this not the feast that I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own I'll just stop for a moment here, but you may hear that the sound behind me is different to usual. I'm not in my study recording this lesson, but at the campground for the North New South Wales Conference at Stewart's Point in New South Wales, Australia. In the background, there are thousands of lorikeets playing or eating in the trees from the blossoms, and uh, they're making a, a, a real din Unfortunately, I need to record this lesson today. Even a quick reading of the Old Testament prophets alerts us to their concerns about the mistreatment of the poor and oppressed. The prophets and the God for whom they spoke were outraged about what they saw being done in all the surrounding nations, as we see in Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2. But they also had a particular sense of anger and grief at the acts of iniquity done by God's people themselves, those who had been the recipients of so many divine blessings. Given their history, as well as their God-given laws, these people should have known better. Unfortunately, that wasn't always the case, and prophets had a lot to say about this sad state of events. It is interesting to discover, too, that many of the best-known statements concerning justice and injustice from the Old Testament prophets are actually given in the context of instructions about worship. As we will see, true worship is not just something that happens during a religious ritual. True worship also is about living a life that shares God's concerns for the well-being of others and that seeks to lift up those who have been downtrodden and Forgotten. Sunday, August 4. Idolatry and Oppression. Soon after God led the people of Israel out of Egypt, he met with them at Mount Sinai, giving them the Ten Commandments in written form, including the first two commandments about not worshipping other gods and not making idols. We read about that in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. My commandments. In response, the people promised to do everything they had been commanded, and to live as his people, as we read in verse uh, chapter twenty four, verses one to thirteen. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord. But They shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning, and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But... On the nobles of the children of Israel he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Then the Lord came to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. But when Moses was gone up the mountain and stayed there for almost six weeks, and the people began to wonder what had become of him. Under pressure from the mob, Aaron made a golden calf and led the people in making sacrifices before it, after which, it says in Exodus 32.6, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry both the Lord and Moses were outraged that how quickly the people had turned away from God to idol worship. And it seemed that it was only Moses' intercession that saved Israel from its deserved punishment, as we read in Exodus chapter 32 verses 30 to 34. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord." Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sins, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. Idolatry, however, was a temptation God's people fell into way too often. The history of the kings of Israel and Judah is punctuated by periods of idolatry, which include the outrageous acts some of the kings led their people to commit in the worship of these gods. Such unfaithfulness was a recurring focus of the prophets. God sent in order to call the people back to Him. Often too, amid the calls for revival and reformation, were calls for better treatment of the poor, the needy, and the helpless among them. Question read Psalm 115 verses 1 through 8. What crucial point is the author making there? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, So where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. It is a human tendency that we become like the thing or persons we worship and focus on. So it was only natural that concern for others and for justice would diminish, while God's people turned from worshipping a God of justice to worshipping the false gods of the surrounding nations, who were often styled as being of war or fertility. When they chose other gods, the people changed their attitude in a lot of things, including how they treated others. Had they been faithful to the Lord, they would have shared his concerns for those in need among them. So, to finish today, dwell more on the idea, this idea, of becoming like what we worship. How do we see contemporary manifestations of this principle? Monday, August 5 – A Reason to Worship Throughout the Bible, God's people are urged to worship God. But we also are repeatedly offered reasons for doing so. We are told to worship Him because of who He is, what He has done, and because of His many attributes. Among these are His goodness, justice and mercy. When we are reminded of what God is like, what He has done for us, especially in the cross of Christ, and what He promises to do, none of us should ever be without reason to worship and praise God. Question Read Deuteronomy chapter ten verses seventeen to twenty two, Psalm one hundred and one verse one, Psalm one hundred and forty six verses five through ten, Isaiah five sixteen and Isaiah sixty one verse eleven. What are the motivations for worship and praising God given in these verses? First of all, Deuteronomy ten verse sixteen. Sorry, verse seventeen. For the Lord, your God, is God of gods and Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. And loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen." Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. And Psalm 101, verse 1, I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O Lord, I will sing praises. And Psalm 146, verses 5 to 10, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers. He relieves the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. And Isaiah chapter 5. And verse 16, But the Lord of hosts shall be exalted in judgment, and God who is holy shall be hallowed in righteousness. And Isaiah 61, verse 11, For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown in it to spring forth, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Such reasons for worship were not new to God's people. Some of the most enthusiastic times of worship in the newly freed Israelites happened in response to the obvious intervention of God on their behalf. For example... After being brought out of Egypt and crossing the Red Sea, Moses and Miriam led the people in singing praise to God for what they had seen and been rescued from, as we read in Exodus chapter 15. I won't read the whole story, but verse 1 says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord, and he spoke, saying... I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider He has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise Him. My father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army He has cast into the sea. His chosen captives also are drowned in the Red Sea. This is going. So well, I think I'll finish the whole chapter. The depths have covered him, they sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath, it consumed them like stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The floods stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You in your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in the place in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. God's justice and mercy, as revealed in such offence, were not to be forgotten. As the people kept these stories alive by retelling them regularly, the acts and justice of God continued to be an inspiration for their worship years later and in following generations. One example of this retelling the worship we read before in Deuteronomy 10, 17-20, and you remember that it went like this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with seventy persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. God's justice is, first, simply, part of who he is, a core component of his essential character. As Job said in chapter 34 verse 12, It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. God is just and is concerned with justice, and that is a reason to worship and praise Him. Second, God's justice is seen in His just and righteous acts on behalf of His people and on behalf of all who are poor and oppressed. His justice is never merely a description of his character. Rather, the Bible portrays a God who, as Job said in verse 28 of chapter 34, heard the cry of the needy and is active and anxious to right the wrongs that are so obvious in our world. Ultimately, this will be fully realized in God's final judgment and his recreation of the world. So, to finish today... If ancient Israel had reason to praise the Lord, how much more so do we, after the cross, have reasons to praise him? Tuesday, August 6, Religious Oppressors During the better times of the kingdom of Israel and Judah the people would return to the temple and the worship of god although even then their worship was often mixed with inroads from idolatry and the religions of the surrounding nations but According to the prophets, even their best attempts at religion were not enough to turn them from the evils perpetrated in the land in their daily lives. And no matter how hard they worked at being religious through their rituals of worship, the music of their hymns could not drown out the cries of the poor and oppressed. Amos described the people of his day as those who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land in Amos 8 verse 4. He saw their desire to get done with their rituals so they could reopen the market and get back to their dishonest trade, that of buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, as it says in Amos 8 verse 6. Question. Read Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 17, Amos 5, verses 21 to 24, and Micah 6, verses 6 to 8. What was the Lord telling these religious people about their rituals? So, starting at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls, or of lambs, or goats." When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow." And Amos, chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savour your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water, and righteousness like a mighty stream." Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? And Micah chapter 6, verses 6 to 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year older? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God?' Through his prophets, God uses strong language to ridicule religion and worship that is disconnected from and in contrast with the suffering and oppression of those around him. In Amos 5, to 24 we read of God saying that he hates, despises, and is generally disgusted by their worship. Their gatherings are described as a stench, and their offerings and music are dismissed as less than worthless. In Micah 6, we see a a series of increasingly inflated, even mocking suggestions as to how they can most appropriately worship God. The prophet mockingly offers the suggestion of burnt offerings, then increases the offerings to thousands of rams with ten thousand rivers of olive oil in Micah 6 verse 7, before going to the horrific, but not unknown, extreme of suggesting sacrificing his firstborn child to gain God's favour and forgiveness. In the end, though, what the Lord truly wanted for them was to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with their God, as he said in verse 8. So to finish the day, have you ever found yourself guilty of being more concerned about religious forms and rituals than about helping those in need right around you? What did you learn from that experience? Wednesday, August 7, A Way to Worship In their explanation of the relationship between worship and justice, there is another step urged by the prophets, that an active concern for relieving the poor and oppressed, and helping those in need, is an important part of worship itself. Isaiah 58 is one chapter that makes this link obvious. Question. Read Isaiah chapter 58. What has gone wrong in the relationship between God and His people as described in the early part of this chapter? Isaiah chapter 58 Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls, and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast you find pleasure and exploit all your labourers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate, and to strike with the fist of wickedness." You will not fast as you do this day, to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen?' to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out, when you see the naked, that you cover him, and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and He will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, and pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, From doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honourable, and shall honour him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. As we've seen previously, this criticism is addressed to people who are actively religious. They seem to be earnestly seeking God, but apparently it is not working. So, God says they should try changing how they worship, to try a different way of serving God. If he were to choose how they would worship, it would be to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke, as it says in Isaiah 58 verse 6. They also would feed the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, and help those in need. Such activities are not presented as the only way to worship— But God does urge them as a way to worship, and a form of worship that might be preferable to some of the people's more traditional worship practices. As such, worship is not only inwardly focused, but something that brings blessings to all those around the worshippers of God. As it says in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 4, page 306, the true purpose of religion is to release men from their burdens of sin to eliminate intolerance and oppression and to promote justice liberty and peace end of quote in isaiah chapter 58 verses 8 to 12 which we've just read god promises blessings in response to this form of worship In effect, God is saying that if the people were to be less focused on themselves, they would find God working with them and through them to bring healing and restoration. Interestingly, this chapter also connects this kind of worship with a renewal of delight-filled Sabbath-keeping. We have already considered some of the strong connections between Sabbath and ministry— But these verses include both these activities in this call for the people to revitalise their worship and to discover God's blessing. Reflecting on these verses, Ellen White commented in Welfare Ministry, page 121, Upon those who keep the Sabbath of the Lord is laid the responsibility of doing a work of mercy and benevolence. Thursday, August 8. Mercy and Faithfulness. When Jesus was confronted by some of the religious leaders of his day who criticized him for eating with sinners, he quoted the prophet Hosea, telling them to go back to their books and discover what God really meant when he said in Matthew 9.13, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And, that was quoting from Hosea chapter six, verse six. Why don't we look at both of those? Matthew nine thirteen, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Hosea chapter six, verse six, for I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. As we will see, Jesus lived a life of caring and service. His interactions with others, his healing miracles, and many of his parables demonstrated and urged that a life lived in such a way was the best way to express true devotion to God. The religious leaders were his greatest critics, but also were the target of his harshest criticisms. Like the religious people of Isaiah's day, they believed that they ensured their special relationship with God because of their religious practices, while at the same time they were exploiting the poor and ignoring the needy. Their worship was out of step with their actions, and Jesus was not reserved in his condemnation of such hypocrisy. Question Read Mark, chapter 12, verses 38 to 40. Does Jesus comment that they devour widows' houses seem out of place in this list? Or is that the point Jesus is trying to make? How would you explain why these shall receive greater damnation? Mark, chapter 12, and verses 38 to 40. Then he said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes, who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Perhaps Jesus' most frightening sermon, particularly for religious people, is that found in Matthew 23. Not only did Jesus describe their religion as not helping people who were disadvantaged in life, he considered such religion as adding to their burden. By their actions, or at times their lack of action and caring, Jesus said they, in verse 13 of chapter 23, shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. But... Echoing the prophets of centuries earlier, Jesus also directly addressed the gap between their serious religious practices and the injustices they condoned and profited from. Verse 23 of Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law— justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Jesus was quick to add that the religious practices and observances are not wrong in themselves, but they should not take the place of treating others fairly. So to finish the day, how can we avoid the trap of thinking that having and knowing the truth is enough? Friday, August 9. From the book Prophets and Kings, page three twenty six to three twenty seven, Ellen White writes in urging the value of practical godliness, the prophet was only repeating the counsel given Israel centuries before. From age to age, these counsels were repeated by the servants of Jehovah to those who were in danger of falling into habits of formalism and of forgetting to show mercy, end of quote. And from Welfare Ministry, by the same author, page 29, I have been instructed to refer our people to the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Read this chapter carefully and understand the kind of ministry that will bring life into the churches. The work of the gospel is to be carried by means of our liberality as well as by our labors. When you meet suffering souls who need help, give it to them. When you find those who are hungry, feed them. In doing this, you will be working in lines of Christ's ministry. The Master's holy work was a benevolent work. Let our people everywhere be encouraged to have a part in it. And that brings us to our four discussion questions for this week. 1. Have you ever thought about doing justice and loving mercy as acts of worship? How might this change your approach to caring for others? How might this change your approach to worship? 2. How can we guard against neglecting the more important matters of the law as it says in Matthew twenty-three twenty-three, in our Christian lives both individually and as a church community can you recognize some examples of your own experience where you might have strained at a gnat but swallowed a camel uh, let's look at Matthew 23 verse 24 blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel 3. Why is hypocrisy considered such a sin? Isn't it better at least to try to look like we are doing good? 4. How does God's vision and passion for the poor and needy, as expressed through the prophets, change how you view the world? How might you read or hear your local news reports in a different way if you saw and heard with the eyes and ears of a prophet? and to summarise this week's lesson. While the prophets were concerned about evil in the land, they were particularly focused on the evil committed by people who claimed and worshipped God as their own. For the prophets and for Jesus, worship is inconsistent with injustice and such religion is hypocrisy. The real worship that God seeks includes working against oppression and caring for the poor and needy Inside Story mission story this week is titled Dreams of Jesus It's by Andrew McChesney of Adventist Mission Susumu Kanai had his first vision of Jesus as he lay in bed at 5am in Osaka, Japan He had spent some time contemplating life every morning for 12 years in his hometown of 2.6 million people located 310 miles or 500 kilometers southwest of Tokyo But this time he was startled to see a bright light. In the light he saw a backlit figure with outstretched arms. Curious to know more, Susumu searched online and found a photo of the giant Christ the Redeemer statue with outstretched arms in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He concluded that perhaps he had seen Jesus. A short time later, Susumo had a nighttime dream in which he was seated across from a man at a table. The man had his hands on the table and was surrounded by a bright rainbow. When he visited a barber shop several days later, Susumo realised that the man in the dream was Jesus. Leafing through a book of famous paintings as he waited for a haircut, he saw Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper and recognised Jesus from the dream the dreams and visions continued. Susumu had a dream that he and seven other men had been captured in a foreign country. He watched as the seven men were killed one by one. When his turn came to die, someone grabbed him from behind and whispered, I'm of the Coptic religion. Come with me. Susumu woke at that moment. He looked up Coptic online and was astonished to find a Coptic church located only 35 miles or 55 kilometres away. For the first time he wondered whether he should go to church. A few mornings later Susumu had another vision. He saw the words Gospel of Matthew run across his mind's eye from left to right like a digital advertisement. He didn't know what the words meant, So he looked online and learned that Matthew was a book of the Bible. He immediately downloaded an audio version of Matthew and started listening in his car. At the same time, he asked his landlady, whom he knew as a Christian, where she worshipped. She brought him to the Osaka Centre Seventh-day Adventist Church. Susumu, pictured left, is among dozens of unsolicited guests who showed up at unprecedented evangelistic meetings at 161 sites across Japan in 2018. Church leaders have never seen anything like it in a country where Christians account for only 0.7% of the population. The Holy Spirit is doing something extraordinary in Japan, bringing people to the Church and convicting them, said Adventist Church President Ted N.C. Wilson, who met Susumu. We need to pray for the latter reign of the Holy Spirit so countries like Japan and many others become completely inundated with the Adventist mission." Uh, These last few days of the lesson and this um, story have been recorded at night time when the lorikeets, a very brilliant coloured bird, has gone to sleep.